everyone. Welcome to High Low with Emrata. It's Thursday and you know what that means. It's a brand new Emrata Asks. If you're new to the show, just let me explain really quickly. On Tuesdays, we have guest interviews and on Thursdays, we have a solo episode where I pose a question or I talk about something personal. We also have the subscription episode that comes out on Thursdays, which is called Talk Back, which I play questions and thoughts you've had on the conversations and the ideas that have come up in the week and I respond to them. So subscribe to that episode to check it out. You can click the free trial feature on Apple Podcasts to try it and see if you like it. Okay, so the last couple of weeks we've been doing more personal stuff. Last week I did something about my pregnancy. We did one around the Met Gala and we've been shifting gears from some of the stuff where we're citing articles. It's just been really personal. And I'm going to continue that this week with an episode about being a model. I get so many questions on my social, but also the podcast when you guys send submit thoughts and questions, we get a lot of questions about what it's like for me to be a model. And obviously with Winnie Harlow as a guest this week, we talked a lot about what it's like to be a model, about coming up in the industry. We also had Ireland Baldwin and I felt like she just had such a refreshingly honest take about her disinterest in the industry. And I feel there was just an interesting juxtaposition happening between Winnie and Ireland. They're really two different experiences. So I talked a little bit about, with both of them, about my experience, and I have written about it a lot, particularly in the essay I wrote about Blurred Lines, but I'll talk a little bit about that if you haven't read the book in this episode. So first part, we're going to just break down my story of coming up and, and some thoughts around modeling, just generally like what makes a supermodel, what makes a model, how the industry works. We also talked about modeling with Hari Neff, who is very, you know, she's an actor, she's a writer, she has a lot of talents, but we have walked shows together. Uh, I actually have worked with her. I haven't worked with Winnie or with Ireland before, although our paths have crossed many times. And we also talked about with Suki. So I just feel like we've had a lot of conversations around modeling and that is why I'm doing this episode. And then the second part, I'm just going to answer questions. So stay tuned after this break. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Okay, so I started modeling the first time I got my pictures taken by a professional photographer, like a photo shoot. I was probably 12 years old. And that was really just because I loved theater and the photographer was family friends with my parents. He wasn't even a fashion photographer, but he was like, oh, I could take some headshots for her. But the pictures are hilarious. I've actually posted some of them before. They're they're nice. They're film. They're black and white. Um, and But I look so baby. It's crazy. And I'm wearing jeans and like a black turtleneck and doing these really specific poses and trying to look serious. And they're really funny. But Again, some of this, if you have read my book, will be things you've heard before. Um, my mom, when I was younger, like even a baby, people would approach. And my mom always tells the story. We were at a grocery store and somebody said like, oh, she should be a model. And she was like, she'll be a brain surgeon instead. Because I think my mom just didn't like the kind of implied thing that like a woman can only be something based on her appearance. Um, 
But also my parents were very encouraging of my modeling career. And then there was another time in a, again, I think a grocery store. I remember this very vividly. Someone saying she should get headshots, you know, and having this like very serious conversation with my mom about the potential for money and everything else. And I went in the car and I started sobbing because I thought that headshots meant like a shot, like a you know, a needle in your head. And I was like, I don't want to get headshots. So I definitely have memories of that. And then once I started doing theater at the age of 12, and I, I really loved it. It was like, that was my after school activity. I tried all these things, piano, dance, and that was the thing I really liked. I had an acting teacher who was like, you guys live three hours from LA, she should consider modeling and there you can make so much money with commercials and everything else. She could maybe pay for college. And my parents were very adamant about, first of all, they worked, so they couldn't have homeschooled me and had no interest in that. They both were teachers. They're retired now. My mom was an English professor. My dad was a high school painting teacher, my high school painting teacher, actually. So there was no kind of, you know, idea that I was going to become a child actor or a child model. But you know, I think that they felt like, oh, this is this possibility where our child could be set up to not have student loan debt and, you know, potentially do some cool gigs and why not? So at 13, I signed with a San Diego agent and I write about that in the book a little bit. It was a strange experience. I remember driving two and a half hours, my mom taking off work, figuring it out in her schedule to bring me to a casting for a denim company. And I, I really remember like what I wore and everything. And then I, my mom asked the woman, this was the first time we were driving. It felt like a really big commitment. I ended up doing it 1000 times in my high school years. And once I got my driver's license, I'd do it by myself. I'm a very good driver for that reason, because I did the commute so frequently from like the ages of 16 to 19 before I moved to LA. And my mom asked the agent, like, what do you think her chances are? And the agent responded like, oh, she's got the look, you know, you can never say, but I think she has the quality. My mom was really annoyed because she was like, no, I meant for this casting. I mean, agents are I'm going to get into this a little bit, and I'm sure you all have heard me talk about it before. There's no union for models, and the agents often do side with the photographers and the clients, the people that they feel are, quote unquote, more lasting uh, relationships than these young girls who they kind of feel are replaceable. So they'll, they will say things that, you know, to jazz you up. And it's really important if you're considering putting your child in modeling or considering modeling yourself to really be wary of the sort of dream that agents will sell you. They'll be like, she's going to be a star. I've handled this person. I've handled that person. We're going to get you this. They'll drop all these things to get you to sign with them. And it doesn't mean that they don't believe in you. It just means that they, they're, it's a business and it's really important to remember that they're not just interested in your best interests. It's really only you. Anyway, after that, I didn't get that Levi's job, by the way. Um, I mean, I was so young, but um, I just really remember that, like going into the casting studio and answering questions about Levi's. I saw something of, I think it was Zendaya. I saw a bunch of early casting, like Miley Cyrus and whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I remember doing those so well. When I was 14, then I signed to Ford Models and that was a total kind of chance situation 
I had an acting teacher who was like, she should get an acting agent in LA. This is how you book commercials. My parents had met another little girl and her parents, she had done a Kodak commercial. And I remember she was playing soccer. I have such visceral memories of this being at their house and hearing my parents be like, wow, that's amazing because she was getting residual checks, which are basically the money you earn after um, something airs and how much it airs. And she had enough money for a down payment on a house. That's what they, I remember them saying that. And my parents were like, how could we not give our child this opportunity? So I went up to LA, I auditioned and whatever, you know, got with his acting agency called Abrams. And the woman at Abrams was like, I really think she's got to go over to Ford Models right now. I remember her calling. I went over to Ford with my mom and they signed me on the spot and I was 14. And if you want more details about the experience of being measured when you're 14 and all that stuff. Um, I encourage you to read my book. And then, yeah, basically I worked as a working model for a long time and I really didn't think or want to necessarily be famous or, you know, that I didn't see this as my career. I really saw it as a hustle to secure, you know, my parents were artists. My mom's a writer. My dad's a painter. And they kind of always have these like day jobs that helped you know, them have the time to write or them have the time to paint or to do that while they're working and making money. So for me, I just assumed like modeling that would be this thing where maybe I would have another career eventually or whatever else, but it would, it would pay the bills. And I missed a good amount of school for sure. But you have to realize like missing one day of school, I would make more money than a lot of my friends had made in a month working as a waitress or in a cafeteria or at a pizza place. So it seemed great. And the drive to LA was a pain in the ass. But again, I was, you know, making this money. I, it was really crazy though. You have to imagine driving two and a half hours, sometimes three and a half, depending on traffic, walking in for like a four second thing where a casting director would basically look me up and down and like make me feel like shit and then getting back in my car. It definitely toughened my skin. I learned about rejection really early. I learned about people having opinions about my body and the way I looked. And I was very, I learned to be hyper aware of my physical self quite young. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was really hard. I think that I tried to make it like it wasn't, but all of that was a lot. Being a teenager is hard. Your body is developing and you're coming into yourself anyway. And then, yeah, that was my experience. And then, yeah, I went to UCLA for art and was kind of like going to auditions and working at the same time. And the housing market had completely collapsed. Everyone was, there was no money. The industry was like really broke. Every, all of my friends were really broke. And I was majoring in art, which, you know, everyone had kind of said to me, like, you're not going to have a guaranteed job if you have a degree in art. And I was like, well, I have a degree from UCLA. That's good at least. But I was nervous about my future and it felt like a really great idea. I also didn't love UCLA. I, I didn't connect to the culture and everything else. And um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to drop out and maybe I'll go back in a couple of years. But, you know, everyone had said to me, your early 20s is a one time, or I was still, I wasn't even in my 20s yet. I was 19. But these, this is the time for you to capitalize on this. You're young and you're beautiful. It's like an athlete. There's a window of time. So I decided to drop out after I had paid for a semester of school with modeling. The money was decent and just started hustling, like working, doing e-com for stores like Forever 21 and Kohl's and Nordstrom's. But 
again, more money than, you know, I'd ever imagined making. I was so excited, but there was a lot of travel. I was exhausted and it wasn't glamorous at all. It wasn't like I was getting cool pictures of myself. I was literally getting like front, back, side. And I remember once like I gained a little bit of weight and a client dropped me. It was like a very intense job. But again, I just felt like the luckiest person in the world. So that's really how I got my start. And then, you know, I booked a couple editorials. I then booked, obviously, Blurred Lines, which just exploded. And that's really when my career changed. And I went from being a model to, I would not even say, definitely not a supermodel at that point, like more of just like a celebrity, like a public figure. And this was the beginning of social media. People weren't really paying for social posts yet. You could go to a party and get paid to go to a party. And so there were all new kinds of income streams. And it really has taken a super long time for me to gain the respect. I'm also short for a model. We've talked about that before. I've talked about that a lot before. I don't have the typical 5'10 runway model frame. So I was an outsider in New York, especially when I moved here. It was kind of like, she can't really do high fashion. She can't do shows. So she'll never do high fashion. And, you know, I think Winnie and I talked about this a decent amount. She said, you know, people say, oh, you broke the mold, but you know, you create your own mold. And I think that um, obviously the industry has changed so much, even just in the last two years, I think post pandemic TikTok happening, Gen Z and their politics and the way they see beauty has also really impacted the way that the fashion industry has changed, but they're for every step of it in the past 10 years, because I did start so young and yeah. So that's how I got my start. Second part, I'm just going to answer a bunch of your questions. So let's get into it now. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. The Anime Awards this year were amazing! And I'm still not over all of the amazing live musical performances. Honestly, same. The Anime Awards may be over, but our discussion is not. If, like us, you're still not over the Anime Awards show and the results, join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. Listening each week to our breakdown of everything that happened at the 2024 Anime Awards and hear news on the other anime and pop culture that you care about. If you don't want to miss all the post-Anime Awards discussion, then tune in to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Okay, so we're going to get into a bunch of your questions. There's some like lighter ones, some heavier ones. There's a lot of funny stuff, but also just, you know, I want to talk about the industry and really I think transparency around modeling is so important. There's not really a ton of information and the people who are often giving that information are agents who, you know, have an agenda. 
So um, this is just kind of important, I think, for anybody who's ever written me as and trying to work as a model. So first question is, what are some of the ways modeling isn't as glamorous as it seems to those on the outside? The travel thing is really interesting. For example, I was just in Brazil for two days last week, but it's pretty crazy. Like I flew on a red eye to Brazil, got there in the morning, shot all day, had one night where I forced myself to go out and do things because I was like, this is my one night in Rio, but like couldn't stay out late because I had to wake up very early in the morning to shoot the whole entire next day and then got on a flight that night to go back to New York. So the traveling is amazing. Like I can say I saw Rio, but did I actually really get to see Rio? Luckily I was with a group of people that I know and I'm friends with, but a lot of the times it's also really, really lonely because you're by yourself and you know everyone's working and you don't really know the crew. So you find yourself in these amazing places as a young woman and you're solo and you're like, do I have to wake up tomorrow at six? Do I take myself out to dinner in you know, whatever country you're in and whatever city? And it, it can just feel really, really lonely in a way that I just don't think people understand. It's obviously so wonderful be, to be working. and But I do think this there's this glamorous idea of, oh, you're traveling and, you know, getting to see the world. But it's like, you're not traveling with your friends. You're not traveling in the way that people think about, associate traveling with and the experience of that. It's very different. It's, you know, you are solo and you just don't even have that much time a lot of the time. I think also for me, even it's funny, this shoot in Brazil, I was this really nice girl I met who lives down there was talking to me and she's like, it's so funny, like working with you, I feel like my friends who aren't even models are like more picky and discerning about the getting their photo taken. And I I thought that was such an interesting thing to say to me because I was like, I feel like I'm picky and discerning, but huh, okay. And I just realized that for me, it's just such a job that I just kind of go into a mode. There was another job, I the Vogue Spain cover I just shot, I, you know, traveled to Madrid. Again, it was a red eye. I shot that day. I fell asleep that night, woke up early in the morning and flew back. I was not feeling well. That was when I lost my voice. You can tell I'm still a little sick. All this travel definitely wears on me a little bit and been a mom and doing the podcasts, whatever. But they they said to me, they were like, oh my God, wow, when you turn it on, you like turn it on. But then they were trying to shoot BTS in between the things and it's like, I'm slumped over and I'm just like barely alive and I just feel like there's kind of this real thing that I've also talked about a decent amount and I write about in the book of separation between Emily like who I am and then this kind of model Emily and the image of her and I just really put my head down and think of it as work and think about like what the you know and also when you've had your picture taken so many times like so, so many times you just stop caring so much about like, ooh, is there a bad one? It's like, yeah, there's going to be bad ones. There's going to be good ones, you know? And I've just learned that and that's the reality of it. Let's move on to the next question. What is it like attending a fashion show versus walking in one? That's something Hari and I talked about. She was talking about how much she enjoys the performance of walking in a show, how it feels like she has a purpose to be there. She's working. Um, she's really, you know, like in character, she can see the collection, she knows the makeup and the hair, and she can kind of embody somebody and then give the kind of walk that she wants to give, uh, which I love. I think it's a really cool way of, you know, being a model and thinking about the performance aspect of especially shows like that. Um, and I have to say, I definitely prefer, prefer walking in shows. I mean, showing up to a show and attending is 
a lot less stressful, but I do feel a little bit like, why am I here exactly? <laughs> um, I mean, I love seeing the collections and I'm always happy to be there, but I think that walking in a show just gives you such a purpose and you really feel a part of the collection and the experience, which can be really cool. Let's get into some of the financials around this stuff. How much money do you make to do a runway show? How about a magazine cover? What other revenue streams and perks are there? Okay, so this always blows people's mind. Runway shows barely pay anything. If they're a, a brand that is desirable and cool, you basically do that for very low money. And it doesn't, it, biggest supermodels of the world will do that for basically no money. Shows do not pay period. Um, unless you're doing something that's, you know, a special thing where it's like not going to like better your career in any way. Um, yeah, you make peanuts for shows and it's really hard for models when they're just starting out because if you're doing the whole season, you have to travel to all these cities. You have to do New York, London, Milan, Paris, and it's expensive to stay in these places, whatever. And that's where the agencies often bill a lot to the models and they sometimes end up breaking even or most of the time they end up breaking even and sometimes they end up even owing the agencies which you know you think about uh, when I was 19 like my parents weren't necessarily super savvy with the industry and like financials and you're a little bit on your own and you're trusting this agent and they do kind of have a parental role and they're just sending you these bills and you're like okay I guess I got charged for this car I got charged for that whatever and it's just it's really messy covers also don't pay editorials in general don't pay so really the hope is that you book campaigns or advertising jobs those are what pay because you are selling a product but the editorials and the shows build out your book and your reputation your book is your portfolio which is all of your pictures and that will make you more desirable and hopefully get you those advertising jobs but it just means a a, a decent amount of free work you have to do even even once you've made it um you kind of always have to do a certain amount of free work but i think um i've seen a tiktoks about how much like oh you know, such and such person got paid this much to walk the show. And it's like, honey, let me tell you, it's not true. So let's end that myth right away. Okay. About the perks. So I would say that definitely, you know, once you reach a certain level, you do get a lot of free stuff. And even if you're not a fashion girly and you don't really care, you could always resell it. You're not really supposed to, but like, that's a a way to make more income. And in general, if you, I mean, for me, like I don't shop that much because I get sent stuff and my close friends don't even shop that much because I give them stuff. And there's just a lot of free shit. It's like, you know, the gifting world has absolutely exploded with influencers and whatever. And I said on a podcast recently, like the only time I really shop is for vintage. And that's true because that's the special stuff. But a lot of the times I don't have to. So that's definitely a perk. Question, how have your attitudes about modeling changed as you aged? I think that I definitely give less of a shit. Um, basically, I think that, you know, when I was younger, I was so hard on myself. I did care more about every picture being perfect. I was so nervous about the edit of pictures. You know, what picture are they going to choose for a cover or inside? And I don't, I still don't have control over that, by the way. Um, even, you know, as thir a 31 year old who's been doing this for 10 years and has like a celebrity reputation, I don't get to choose my images for editorials or for, you know, fashion campaigns. 
And there is like a feeling of like, okay, there's hopefully I like these pictures, you know, but I think I used to care and I would be devastated if the, it meant something about my identity as a whole. Now I feel really separate from that. And I've also just learned to be a lot less hard on myself in general about the way I look. It doesn't mean that every day I'm like, I look fine. There's days where I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my God, I see that thing changed post sly and da da da. Is this, you know, what's happening to my body this way or my face this way or I hate this. I have to tell you, like, I know so many things about my face. I have a good side, I have a bad side. I just know what angle of, of like my hips look a certain way. Like it's pretty bizarre. It is just part of the job. It's what Winnie and I touched on a bit where you have to know your body so well, which does fuck with your mental health, obviously. But it also kind of, I guess for me, I've reached a point where I'm like, it's given me a really incredible kind of gift of perception because I have seen so many beautiful women and I know that everyone can get a bad picture taken of them or that there are angles or there are moments and that like pictures are just one second. And it's kind of, I think it, I peaked in the like being so hard on myself. And now I'm kind of like, you're so lucky to have had this career and this life. Why would I ever like destroy myself every second? Like sometimes I really like an image and I think, wow, I can't believe I look like that. And other times I think, holy shit, I'm the least attractive person in the world. Just like everyone, by the way. Um, But you just do have so much more awareness and around self-perception in a way that can be really damaging. I mean, you see it, you know, Okay, I'm just going to answer two more questions, but obviously if you guys want to submit more for the subscription episode, absolutely do. Do you have any beauty or self-care rituals in the days, hours leading up to a big shoot? How about ways you reward or treat yourself after? So I remember reading all this stuff when I was younger from the like Sports Illustrated girls about, oh, I eat a burger before I shoot or You know, I saw this thing, Miranda Kerr, talking about her like multi-step morning routine of juice and tea and whatever. I don't do that. Obviously, I'm not if I have a big shoot next week and I'm going to be in the same city. A couple of my friends are also doing the job. So we have a free night all together in a foreign city. Like, sounds so fun. We're going to probably get together. I don't think we're going to eat like a giant pasta meal and like get wasted and be hungover. That's not going to happen. That being said, I don't do the like diet thing. I don't whatever. I have a kind of general self-care routine that I've talked about. I use retinol. I wash my face. I use moisturizer. um, I wear sunscreen. I generally am like relatively like aware of my body. I actually just wanted to say this is something I was thinking about making a TikTok about, but I'll say it on the podcast because we're talking about body image a little bit here. I got so thin after Sly and kind of at the darkest point of my marriage, which I've talked about here on here before, I actually did the calculations for my BMI and I was so unhealthy. It was like 15.7 or something BMI, which if you look up is anorexia, like very clear. And let me tell you, by the way, I was working a lot, which is scary, but not working as much as I, I am now. Make your judgments about the industry based on that. But my God, when I gained the weight back, I decided to like love my cellulite and love my flabs and whatever, my flabbiness and whatever else. And because I had gone through a period where I didn't have any ass and I didn't have any thighs and I missed it so much. I felt like I was just this 
inconsequential person. I felt like I didn't take up space and it made me appreciate the fullness of my body when I'm healthy. So I've really, I don't really, I don't fuck with dieting. I I just nourish my body. And I, I have to say like when Brazil, we were shooting bikinis and I saw my body from every angle and, you know, stretch marks, whatever else. And I was like, hell yeah. I love having a butt. I love having thighs. I'm so grateful that they're there and I'm going to enjoy them in a way that I never did before because I went to that, you know, scary Ozempic level skinny and I just don't find it attractive. I also just think white culture in general, it just trains us to think thin is only good. And I just, I don't see it that way. And I really hope that the rest of the world adopts a way of being like, first of all, all bodies are beautiful, but that thinness is just not always the best thing. So just a little side note as far as body image goes. All right. We kind of got into it. We don't have that much time on the podcast on these episodes. So we will definitely be taking questions more about modeling if you're somebody who's interested in it or just like curious about my thoughts around the industry because I have been in it for a long time. And again, not trying to push the book, but I do have more, I feel, eloquent ways of talking about some of my experiences that are really nuanced, right? There, There is positive aspects to them. There are negative aspects to them in the book. So please read my body. But yes, submit your thoughts and for any more questions to hilo.fm. I think next week we're going to do another kind of personal one, but then we'll be getting back into some of the more question answer type stuff, reading articles. I really do want to do an ask me anything. I think that's what we'll do next week. So if you have any questions for the ask me anything, please submit those. I'm, I really still want to do that book club. So let me know if you guys are interested in that. I also want to do an episode on It Girls and the whole New York Magazine piece and how that impacted so many people I know in downtown New York and their feelings around being an It Girl or not being an It Girl as decided by New York Magazine. It was a crazy moment. So we might do an episode on that. Submit your thoughts, questions, all of that. Go to hilo.fm. Thank you for listening. We are back next week with a guest interview on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Sony Music Entertainment and Bitch Era Media Production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, Matt Raz, and Sarita Wesley. Our showrunner is Matt Raz. Our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh.